and joy, and that you are love. Uh, Lord, as has already been beautifully displayed here with the kids and with um, our time of prayer and with the lighting of a candle and that testimony that was given in that time and, and then um, bringing back to us two of our own from, um, from Mexico and just hearing about what you're doing there, Lord, that, that your love has, um, is far and wide. Lord, that, that, that what I, you just keep hitting me with over and over this week is that, that if I spent all day, every day, thinking about how much you love me, it would, it would be like putting my toe in the ocean. I couldn't experience it all. And so, Lord, I do pray that even as we continue to worship you in your word right now, um, that, that the reality of the depth and the breadth and the height and the width and, and the, and, and the all-encompassing love of the Father would, would be new to each and every one of us. Maybe for some of us in this room, for the first time in our existence, we realize there is a God in heaven who made us and loved us and came for us. And maybe for those of us that have known that for a while, but have, um, have lost our appreciation of that love, that we would, start, we would come alive again to the reality of the beauty of your love for us. Lord, may we see that even as we watch how your son interacts with one who did not know your love, but someday would come to know it. Lord, that was my story. That is every story of anyone who's ever come to know you. Lord, may it be the story of many, not just here in this place, but around the globe even today. For the fame and the glory of your name, we pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please have a seat. Grab your Bibles and find John chapter 3. The Gospel of John, it's in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth gospel. It's not too hard to find. John chapter 3. And we are... Um, we are in this series that we're calling The Weary World Rejoices. It's what we've been doing as part of our Advent season. As has already been said, this is the last Sunday of Advent. The series we're going to carry into um, the... Um, the like into actually next week at Christmas Eve, we'll, we'll continue the series right here at 4.30 on Christmas Eve. Please come. We do not have a service on Sunday. That is our service for the weekend. And so please plan to be here, whether you plan to stay for dinner or not. It's a beautiful time. Um, may, just make Christ a priority then. I realize many of you have family. You have family traditions. I will tell you that for a long time in our family, what we did was we said, well, as a, as a to prefer our earthly family, we're going to diminish what we do for Jesus on Christmas Eve. I wish I could take those years back as a family. I wish I could say, because what I realized was my unbelieving family was hearing they're not really committed to this Christ they claim. What I should have said is in love, I should have said, hey, we're going to put our family on pause for a little while so we can go worship with our spiritual family on Christmas Eve and we'll be back together as soon as we can. That's what I should have done because that's a testimony for what I'm really committed to. Now, we're going to even continue this series through into the new year. We will have service here on January 1st during our regular time. Um, and so, um, and we will, we'll carry that series through, this series through that time as well. But what we have been talking about in the sort of the subtext of this series is how do we let our souls rejoice in the coming king? Like how do we really get about this business of rejoicing in the fact that Christ has come and is coming again? And what we talked about was how it takes practice, 
and how part of what we need to practice is being thankful. And we talked about um, like starting by giving thanks and that when we have that attitude of gratitude, that allows us to then experience the hope and the peace and the joy. And today we're talking about the love and, and the, that's what sort of rounded out this series. And today we're going to talk about love. So to start that, I want us to be talking about love. So the first talking points question is, what makes you feel loved? What makes you feel loved? There's two parts to this question. We're going to answer the first part first. What makes you feel loved? I'm asking. Like what kind? Now, now, now you don't have to be super spiritual. What kinds of things make you feel loved? Receiving love. Okay, but, but what, I'm, what I mean by the question is, what makes you think you're receiving love? What kinds of things? Spending time together. Hugs. Being cared for. Kids, this is for you guys too. Guys, you're probably better at helping us remember what love looks like than us adults are. So shout some answers out. What's that? What? A group. Okay, like, like, part, a group, like being a part of a group of people that makes you feel loved. Awesome. What else? What's that? Having a family. I got one in the back. Oh, that was the back. Okay, sorry. I can't. I'm, yeah, I'm like, I'm old. Yeah. When, when people, good. When people make important, so they sat in a sense of sacrifice. They make important to them what's important to us. Awesome. Gifts. Gifts. That's for some people. That's, see, that, that does not do much for me, but for some people, that's a huge deal. Words of affirmation. Words of affirmation. That is a big deal to me, right? So that's a good one. All right, what else? Are we going to go through the five love languages right now? Is that what we're going to do as a group? No. Okay. Um, just kidding. Let's move on to the second part. So there are lots of different ways that we feel love. And some of them are sort of just intrinsic into how God has wired us. Right? Now the, question, the second part of the question is, how does being loved make you feel? So stop and think about that for a minute. So when those things happen... Um, when some, I'm, am I back? Okay, sorry. Um, when someone prefers like what um, you over them, all those things that we just talked about, how does that make you feel? Valued, Valued. good. Noticed. Noticed, awesome. Safe. 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 I heard something over here. I don't know. Humble. Worthy. Worthy. Important. Desired. Good. I, what's that? Joyful. Indispensable. Wow, leave it to the youngest among us to use the biggest words. Don't ask me to spell those words, right? So I wrote down some. I heard safe or secure. I wrote down protected or empowered. Now, guys, obviously we're here talking about God and Christ and his love for us, but it's true in our earthly relationships as well. That's why when, when, like when Carrie and I are in a really good place in our marriage, as a man, I feel way more empowered. I feel way more secure in every area of my life. And the reverse is also true. We just spent some time um, working with a, a couple from another church who, who is in a leadership position, and they're... And they're having a fellow leader struggling in their marriage. And they're watching how that's affecting their ministry. 
And, and, and rightly for them, it was sort of like, how can it not? If you're not in a secure place in what is the second most important relationship you're supposed to be in, how can that not affect every area of your life? Right? And, and the reverse is also true. But all those things are true in our relationship with God too. When we really understand the love of God and what he has for us, we will, we will exercise our faith our hope, our peace, our joy, from a place of empowerment, from a place of security, from a place of strength. And what's happening in our world today is we, we, are, we are in a world fraught with insecurity. And it's been that way from the beginning. Do you remember what Adam and Eve felt right after they rebelled? Shame. That's insecurity. They all, all, that, that sense of safety that they felt with God, they now felt the exact opposite. That's the world we're in. That is what people, now they're running around like chickens with their heads cut off, trying to find that place of group, that place of identity, that place of safety and security, without even knowing that's what they're doing, because they're trying to fill this void that their brokenness cannot fill apart from the love of God. And so I loved even how um, the Holy Spirit orchestrated all of this uh, even this morning, and what the McAllister shared, and what the Stairs shared, I mean, it, would, it all, again, I could almost just say, amen, let's leave, and we'll be done, but God has something for us here today, I really believe that, in a well-known passage of scripture, so what we're looking at today is, how do we live this new life in the love of God? How do we really live this new life in the love of God? And guys, it, it, the question I'm asking, so is, how does God's love bring us new life? Now, this is not just a message for those of us that are sitting here that are not yet born again. This is a message for all of us. Because here's what, part of what I think has is, is happened in the church, and, and, and COVID didn't cause this, but it, it allowed for this um, to express itself even more in the church. There are a whole bunch of people that I do believe are born again and were living like dead people. Right? God did not raise you from the dead and leave you in a cemetery. So we need to live like live people. And if you're not yet his and you're sitting here today, then today could be the day that you experience your new life in Christ. And we pray that that would happen. So Paul, or so um, John, in the Gospel of John, he's going to show us how this works in this well-known passage. We're going to look at John 3, 1 through 17, and we're going to look at how, we, how does this um, love bring us new life by transforming that which is dead, by turning to him in belief, and by trusting he gives his love freely. So with that, let's pick it up in our first point. I'm going to start in John chapter 1, so in John chapter 3, verse 1. So what's happened is, this is very early in Jesus' public ministry. This is the first, like, actual teaching that Jesus does in the Gospel of John. He has changed the water into wine at Cana, which is in the northern part of, of Israel. He then travels south for the Passover to celebrate the Passover like a good Jew would. He turns the tables of the money changers, gets some people's attention doing that. Right, And then one of those leaders, the Pharisees, comes to him. And that's where we pick up the story in John 3, verse 1. Now a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So the Pharisees were the, were the Jews. It, it, it they were more than just the priests. Israel was a theocracy. So these were actually the governing leaders of their people outside of Rome. I mean, Rome was the governing authority. 
And, and they did not like Jesus. Certainly after he turns the tables in the temple, they were not huge fans. But Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night. So he's taking a risk. That's why he's coming in by night. And he says to him, now look at what he says. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God. For no one could do the signs that you do unless God was with him. Now, first of all, ironically, God is not, he is with God. Like irony of ironies, he's talking about how, hey, Jesus, you couldn't do these things that you're doing, these miracles that you're doing, unless God was with you. And what Jesus could have said is, hey, God is with you right now. But, but Jesus doesn't respond that way. In fact, Jesus doesn't ridicule Nicodemus at all. And eventually, we see in John chapter 7, and then again in John chapter 19, Nicodemus comes to faith in Christ. I believe that with everything in me. You, he defends Jesus in John 17, and he's there to bury Jesus on, when, he, when they take him off the cross with Joseph of Arimathea. So this, it's, but here, he's taking great risk, and, and yet Jesus responds to him with great patience. Guys, Jesus, the love of God, Jesus, is always approachable. Are you and I? Are we so approachable? I mean, are, do people see us like we have quills sticking out of us? Or do they see us as people that are inviting? Because Jesus is inviting Nicodemus, who is, who is an antagonist, into relationship with him. Look at what he says. And, and because of that, we get one of the greatest uh, messages in all of Scripture. And we'll get there, hopefully, Lord willing, by the end of the message. In verse 3, he says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The word born again means, it's a phrase we don't use enough of anymore in the church. Jimmy Carter was, was, the, was like the born again, first president that was claimed to be born again. And somehow that just freaked out a whole bunch of Christians. And so we stopped using the phrase born again. But Jesus uses it. Born, and what it really means is born from above. Born of the Spirit is what it means. He, he is conveyed, and then he says, you cannot see, see the kingdom of God. So the word see there in the Greek actually has, has um, the, the connotation of become acquainted with. So unless you are born of the Spirit, born from above, you cannot be acquainted with the kingdom of God. Now, you sit here, if you've been sitting here for very long at Cross Train, you're like, that makes sense to me, because we talk about this whole thing all the time, right? This physical kingdom here, and the spiritual kingdom here, and how when we are born again, when we have come to faith in Christ, there's a part of us that has been transferred from the physical to the spiritual. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And he goes on, in verse 4, he says, Nicodemus says, now wait a minute, how can a man be, be born when he is old? Because he's, he, he's, well, we'll get there in a second. So can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born and Jesus answered, truly, truly. That's his way of saying, this is something important to understand. Like, pay attention right here. Here's a point. I say to you, unless you are born of water, that's his way of saying born of woman, born physically. He's not talking about baptism there. If you are born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Guys, this is Christ's first real big like section of teaching in the Gospel of John, and notice what he doesn't start with. He doesn't start with Nicodemus, if you would just behave. If you would just behave like me. If you would just love like I love. If you would just do these things. He starts with, behold. He says, here I am. Behold. If you just would behold me, and then believe in me, and then you'll become like me, and then the behave will come. 
And we have to be reminded, even, even in how Jesus interacts with Nicodemus with patience here, that ultimately Jesus knows the, the, the answer to Nicodemus' problem is him. And he just wants to show Nicodemus himself. He's not trying to change Nicodemus' behavior. He knows the Holy Spirit will do that. And then he goes on and he says he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And, and then he says the one who is born of the flesh is flesh and the one who is born of the spirit is spirit. It's those two parts. right? It's, it's, it's the, you're going to read about it this week, I think, in your daily readings. The Galatians 5, the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are. And that's, that's this part of us that still struggles. It's the Romans 7 when we were in our, our Romans study. Um, it's in the Romans 7. This, this, we still struggle with our flesh because it's still part of this broken, not yet renewed world. But part of us has been redeemed, born again, into the spiritual. And he's saying, so, the person, so, so, so there's this, the, the, um, the one who is born of the flesh is flesh, but the one who is born of the spirit is spirit. So we have um, the spirit living in us. Like we have to, we have to understand that, that Nicodemus, at this point in Nicodemus's life, and if you're sitting here as an unregenerate, unborn again person, you can't understand what Jesus is talking about either because those things are spiritually understood. And this part of you hasn't come to life yet. And we'll see that as we keep going. So he says, Look at what he says in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, guys, understand this. Born of the, the, the word wind, Jesus is doing a little word play here. When he says, just like the wind and the Spirit, it's the same word in Greek, pneuma. So he's saying, just like the wind goes where it wants and nobody knows where it goes. The Holy Spirit's doing the same thing. But unless that wind comes into you, you cannot be of the Spirit. You cannot be born again, and you cannot see the kingdom of God. And that leads us to our second talking points question. So we need to talk. Have you been born again? Have you been born of the Spirit? Guys, this is too important to just let pass by and go, isn't this a good point that Jesus is making? And here's why it's so important. Because everyone lives forever. Everyone. Anyone who's ever been knit together in their mother's womb has a forever life. The only question is address. That's it. It's just where we're going to spend eternity. And, and just like I was thinking about how I don't spend enough time thinking about and dwelling on and just basking in the love of God, I don't spend nearly enough time thinking about eternity. You know why? So here's my little analogy. So, here, so, so if, if this red line is, is my life, Doug was born in 1969. Doug dies physically whenever the Lord takes me home or comes back to get me and give me my new body when he comes again. This is my life. We make it all about this. In fact, we do way worse. We make it about this. What's going on in this moment, in this day? Guys, some of us can't get past the little red bubble that shows up. Awesome. That's really cool. That was cool. Did somebody get that on video? Do we get that on video? I want to see that again. We can't get past the little red dot, guys, that's on your phone. When you see a notification on your text messaging, Oh, I got a new text message. Or on your, social, on your social messaging, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever it is. Some of us can't not look at that. That screams, I am all about this moment of my life. It does. And, we're do and guys, the enemy is using things like I just mentioned 
to get us so focused on the dot of today that the rest of this that you guys saw come out of my little bucket there just doesn't, we don't even think about it. But this is our real life. Guys, all of us, for, like my rope ends. It never ends. It just keeps going and going and going and going. And here's the thing. What we do today, the decisions you make today, even as a believer, the decisions you make today affect all of the rest of this. So why are we living making decisions today that aren't even, even going to bless us or, 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 get, or have any reward for our tomorrow, let alone for our forever life? Why are we prioritizing the things of this world when we ought to be thinking about this world in light of forever? Here's why. We don't believe this. We just don't. We, I mean, we do. Like, we, okay, yeah, I know eternity. God, you know, Jesus, awesome. And, and man, and then we just move right on with the rest of our thought life, right on with the rest of our day, right on with the rest of, we just do. If we really believed this, like if we really believed that eternity was really long <laughs> and gonna be really glorious if you're in Christ, we would live this so much differently. I would live this so much differently. And here's the thing, guys. Everyone has a forever life. And the most important decision you can make on that dash, that is your date of birth to your date of death, is to, is to believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he has done what he said he's done. Right? Because that's the ultimate thing that tells you whether you belong on this line of eternity or... If you live your life for yourself, which this is the world, this is what most of the world is. The way is narrow and few find it. Most of the world, it's bro this is Jesus talking. Guys, I, J Jesus, the same one who's talking about all this love and, and being born and everything right here, is he, he talks about judgment. So my, my little rope here is it's supposed to be like red, but it, this is as close as I could get for like hell, if you didn't pick up on that. Right? This eternal judgment, Jesus talks about it more than anything other than the kingdom of God. Why? Because these two, this is it. These are our two choices. We either live our lives not deciding to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, in which case we live apart from him, and he's going to get there in just a minute with Nicodemus, or we come to faith in Christ and our eternity is glorious, but everyone has one. The question is, which path are you on? Let me pray right now. We're not done, but let me pray right now for that. Father God, I, if I could put the words in people's mouths, if I, could, if I could change their heart of stone to a heart of flesh, I would. But I can't. Only the wind of the Spirit. So Lord, I want to pray right now that the power of your spirit would fall on those hearts. Those that are with us right now, those that are, that are watching online, those that might hear this podcast a month from now. Lord, I want to pray in your sovereignty, by your power and for your glory alone, that you would, just like you did to Adam and Eve when you, when you, in the garden, just like you, you showed Ezekiel with the dry bones, that you would breathe life. Breathe life into those dead bones. 
that right now they would sense something that they've never sensed before. And that's you. Father God, for those of us that are born again, Lord, I pray that you would remind us that, that it is a blessed privilege and, and that there's still a lot of glory at stake. So let us live it for your, let us live this born again life for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. That leads us to our second point. So, how does this love bring us to life? One, transform, transforming us, that which is dead. So, so, so he transfers us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. The second thing is, he um, gives us the ability to turn to him in belief. So look at um, verse 9. Look at verse 9 of, of chapter 3. It says, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet... Not even you understand these things? Because he, he's not mocking Nicodemus. I used to read this because I'm a sarcastic person. I used to, Jesus had no sarcasm. He's not reading this like, oh, come on, man. How do you not get this? He's broke. He's like, man, my, my people, the leader of my people, the teacher of my word, if anybody ought to get this, it ought to be you. And his heart's breaking for Nicodemus. He's like, don't you even see he says, I told you earthly things and you do not believe them. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? It goes back to what I said a minute ago. It's, it's Jesus' way of, Paul pulls this forward in 1 Corinthians 1. He says that the natural man cannot understand the things of God because they are spiritually appraised. That the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. He goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and he says, for the, for the ruler of this world, Satan, has blinded the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the glory that is the gospel that Jesus has come. Right? He, it's, so Nicodemus, Jesus understands, Nicodemus can't understand it, and it, and it because of the brokenness of this world and it hurts him. But guys, that's my story. That's, that's your story before you came to faith in Christ. I, but for my first 20-something years, the last six of those as an unbeliever, so from the time I was 18, I'm, re I'm reading the Old Testament going, how can anyone believe in this vengeful, angry, judgmental God? I read those same words, and I think, oh my goodness, how can this loving God be so patient with me, be so patient with them? What happened? Did the words change? No. My heart changed. The lens by which I read it changed. That's what Jesus wants to see happen to Nicodemus. He says, no one has ascended into heaven except the, the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So he's talking about himself, obviously. And as Moses, is lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he's referring back to a scene that happens during the time of their wilderness wandering. But guys, understand this, that, that God saves sinners, that this idea of Emmanuel, God with us, is the story of the gospel. Right? That ultimately, Jesus is right in front of Nicodemus saying, here I am. And, and, if, and, and I am the one that will be lifted up. And then look at what he says in verse 15. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That is the gospel message. God always moves 
first. The gospel is always previous. Guys, we don't have faith and then get grace. We get graced. Mary was graced of God. We get graced, and that leads us to faith. God's grace moves before our belief. That's the behold part. Behold, believe, become, behave. We have to behold. The only way we behold God's goodness is by his grace. And when his grace, his love comes to us, and we realize that by his power, then it's on us to believe. And he says, if they believe, they will have eternal life. But Ephesians 2 makes this really clear. God moves first. It also makes clear we must respond. And that's the point that God, that Jesus, God, is making to Nicodemus here. That he gives us, he's giving people by him coming, dying, be paying the price, and rising again and sending his spirit. He's giving people the power to believe. So look at your last talking points question. It says, love is an action word. Love gives. How are you loving others with the same selfless, sacrificial, sweet love of, of the, the sweet love of the Savior? Don't, I'm, don't answer. I just want you to think about that for a minute. Love is an action. John did a beautiful job of reading through the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, for our calling passage. One of the things we talk about is put your name. Everywhere you hear the word love in that chapter, put your name there. Doug is patient. Doug is kind. Doug does not remember a wrong. And then, and then realize just how, how much Doug needs to grow in love, or how much Scott needs to grow in love, or how much Christian needs to grow in love, or how much this whole table right here needs to grow in love. <laughs> just kidding. That's my family, if you didn't know. Um, yeah. So just think through that, right? That Nicodemus' curiosity of, of coming to Jesus in the dark of night and going, hey, I know that you're from God, but I don't get it. That simple, like just twinge of the Holy, the, the Holy Spirit's already working on Nicodemus, right? And that little twinge of faith is enough to get, it orchestrates perhaps the greatest statement in the Bible. We haven't gotten there yet. John 3.16, we'll get there in just a minute. But, but guys, without Nicodemus coming to him, we would not have John, so we ought to, when we get to heaven, Nicodemus is there, we ought to thank him, right? And, and remember that. I love this quote from Paul Tripp. He says this, the whole narrative of John 3 is not driven by the resolve of Nicodemus, but by the power and the glory of the rescuing, revealing, forgiving, accepting, and transforming grace of God. The power and the glory of the rescuing, revealing, forgiving, accepting, and transforming grace of God. And that leads us to our last point. Guys, for us to really live in this new life, we have to trust that God like, loves us to the full. That, 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 that we will never get to the end of God's love. And that he gives it abundantly, extravagantly, and freely. He is, God is not stingy about his love. It's who he is. God loves out of a, a byproduct of his very nature. 
It doesn't say, nowhere in the Bible it says God is judgment or God is wrath. There, there is judgment. There is wrath. It says God is love. And, and we need to bask in that, embrace that. Guys, the whole gospel story from Genesis chapter 3, right after they rebelled, to the very end of the book in Revelation 22, the whole gospel story is God screaming out, I love you. And I, I don't think we, we preach that to ourselves enough. I don't think we preach that in this church enough. I, th I think we, we, we f still feel like God is disappointed in us because we're not reading our Bible enough or we're not doing serving in the church enough or we're not giving here enough or we're not doing that enough. Guys, God is never disappointed in you. God is never disappointed in you. You know why? Because he knows you. He knows me. A guy who discipled me for many years, and I'm blessed to have had him in my life for so long, he used to say this to me, Doug, to be disappointed in yourself is to believe in yourself. Some of you heard those words from that same dude. To be disappointed in yourself is to believe in yourself. See, here's the thing. God is never disappointed in us because he doesn't believe in us. He knows him. He knows what he's done. He knows what the cross accomplished. Guys, the gospel message is God loves you and he is for you. That's what the cross proves. Now look at where Jesus takes Nicodemus. I get that this is a well-known passage. I get that you've heard this probably more than any other verse in the Bible. They used to put it, you know, see it at football games and things like that. You don't so much anymore. It tells you a lot about where our culture's gone. It does not change the fact that it's true and that we really need to embrace it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whomsoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Guys, this is perhaps the clearest message, like gospel message you could give to somebody. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whomsoever would believe in him would have eternal life. So, a couple quick things, just because I, I at least need to spend a minute breaking it down a little bit. God loves. Guys, without God's love, there is no forgiveness. There's no reconciliation. There's no redemption. There's no Jesus. God loved the world. He is the one who initiated. He is always first. Guys, he doesn't look at our brokenness. He doesn't look at our struggles. He doesn't look at your shortcomings. He doesn't look at Doug's failures with contempt or anger ever. The cross proves it. This he's saying, he, Jesus knew all that was true in your life and my life and the world when he came here as a baby. That's what we celebrate. A God so willing, knowing all the bad stuff, willing to come here and die for us anyway. He does it out of love. That's what grace is. So, so what does it look like? It looks like he gave his only son. He gives. Grace always moves first. It is always God manifesting his love in us. It says that God, God showed us what his love looks like by sending his son Jesus Christ to die for us. He's saying that's what... God's love manifests. We, we don't ever need to doubt. Because if you, I, I think I said this last week or the week before. Do you believe the Christmas story? 
Do you believe Jesus came? Then don't doubt his love because it's the only reason he came. God so loved the world, he sent his son that whomsoever would believe in him, whomsoever would, would come to faith in him, would what? Would live through him and not perish. That word perish there means eternal ruin. It's, it's this one. That he would not experience this. But instead, this one. He would have eternal life. Right? That's why God sent Jesus. That's why Jesus came. That's what Christmas is about. That's all it's really about. Guys, here, here, one of the things that, that's just so striking to me, and I, and I, and I promise we're almost done, is, is we get blamed as Christians for being like, or, or even, I mean, Christianity gets blamed for judgmentalism. And yet Christianity is the only religion in the world that does this. It recognizes that there's a problem in the world, and that the problem is us. And then it recognizes that God is the one who came up with the solution, and the solution has nothing to do with us. I don't understand how we buy into this idea that, yeah, I probably better not say anything about you know, Jesus because it seems really judgmental. No, it doesn't. Saying to somebody, you know that you're a sinner, that you fall short of the glory of God, but do you know that God knows that, and he loved you so much he came here to fix that anyway, and you don't even have to do anything? Like, Christianity's it. It's the only thing on the market that sells that. Every other religion of the world is, and do this and this and this and this and this. We need to get better at sharing that gospel story. Now look at it. We're going to land this plane with the last verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Do you see that? Because part of why we, we don't sell verse 16 well is because we don't finish with verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Again, the problem in the world is us, not God. The solution in the world is God, not us. But here's the beauty of the gospel. He transfers us from this world to this world. 1 Peter 2, 9. For you, speaking to you guys, for you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. He's Peter's long-winded way of saying, you are precious to the God of the universe. Right? Who has called you into his eternal glory. He's called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light, Peter tells us. Once you were not a people, now you're the people of God. Once you did not receive mercy. Once you were in that dark place. But now you are children of God. You have received mercy. We've got to get way better at selling that to people. We've got to get way better at believing that in our own souls. We have to believe that, like, that, that, that God really does unconditionally love us. Like if I ask everybody in this room... What's the definition of grace? Many of you would be able to write down unconditional love, unmerited favor, un and yet we forget. We don't live that way. We think it's sort of like semi-earned love, um, partially um, rewarded favor, right? That's how we live. We need to live like, like we really believe. So as the music team comes up and we finish with a couple of songs, I just want to remind you, so, so how do we live this new life? Guys, we have to remember that he's the one that has transferred us. He's transformed us from what was, he has, that new life is going from death to life, from this kingdom to this kingdom. 
right? It is, it is th- that ability, certainly unto salvation, to turn to him in belief, but also in those moments of doubt that you're going to have when you walk out of here today about how to live your Christian life, that his ability to cause you to turn and just believe in his promise, right? The, and then the last one is trusting that his love is never-ending, that he gives it freely. So guys, do we really live that way? Because the answer to the question of how does, our, how does our new life bring us, like how does, how does his love bring us this new life, is him. The answer is Jesus. He came. It's the only reason he came. He came to fulfill his love promise to us. It, it almost sounds weird for me to say that. It sounds so new agey almost to go, he came to fulfill his promise of love. It's the gospel. Do you see what the world has done to us? Like we are so about earning that we can't even imagine a God in heaven who says, I I expect nothing and I give everything. He came, gave it all. And if we believe that somehow I have to do something, it's what Paul says in Galatians 2. For I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness could come from living a good life, from fulfilling the law, then Christ died for nothing. So I will not nullify the grace of God. This life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for me. Do you believe that? The life you live by faith in Christ is in, the, is in the power of Christ who loved you and died for you. Do you believe that? I'm asking, do you believe that? Say, I believe. I believe. Guys, then let's live like that. Guys, if you're sitting here today and you're not yet his, you don't know for sure that you have come to faith in Christ. You are nullifying the grace of God. You're doing it by shoving him away. God cannot take that lightly. Why do those people still end up in eternal ruin? Because what else can God do? He says, I've done everything. I literally have done it all. And we still say no. God didn't put those people in hell. God isn't going to put those people in hell. They ran there. And that's where I was heading. That's where you were heading. But God, rich in mercy, because of his great Love, thank you, because of his great love for us, when we were dead, made us alive. Pray with me. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for that beautiful truth. Lord, I do pray for those that are not yet yours, that today would be the day that they would be brave enough to tell somebody, you know what, I sense something today I've never felt before. I, 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 I realize today that I am a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. I have, I've come, my, my eyes have been opened spiritually to the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I claim him as my Savior. Lord, I pray that that would happen. Not just here, but throughout the globe today. That your kingdom would come and your will would be done. And Lord, for those of us that are born again, I pray that we would not nullify the grace of God by walking out of here and forgetting that you love us unconditionally. That, that where we started, that, that feeling loved, knowing that we're loved, being in a love relationship helps us feel safe and secure and steadfast. 
Lord, I, I pray that you, that you would remind us as we leave here today that that's our position. That that's what you've done to us positionally as your, as your children. You have saved us. Lord, may, may, may we remember that love, was that love was the motivation for that. And nothing, nowhere ever, Paul tells us, can take that away. Let us rejoice. Let our souls rejoice in the love of God. In Jesus' name, amen.